Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. And our sermon today is entitled, Jesus Calls the Unrighteous. This is the word of the Lord. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. One more time, good morning. Say good morning to one another. Just look to the left of you, the right of you, behind you, in front of you. Yes, that awkward greeting that you have for one another. But praise be to the Lord. Each and every one of you have been made in God's image. Each and every one of you has a story to tell. The story of where you came from, how you grew up. A story of where you are now and the hopes that you have in the future. And interlaid with that story is the story, hopefully, of salvation in your life. That you have seen God work his wonders through you and in you. That you have seen the people that God has brought into your life to show you his grace, his forgiveness, his love, and his hope. We are here to encounter and to see Jesus each and every day of our lives. And when we gather here on Sunday, it is cause for celebration, where we can say to each other, we made it, Monday through Saturday, we made it. We're here now. We do not need to sort of pretend who we are. We can say, we know Jesus. And I have brothers and sisters here that together, that when I say I know Jesus, they'll look at me and they'll say, not with awkwardness, but with confidence, yes, I know him as well. And together as a church, together as God's people, we walk faithfully. We walk tirelessly to know our Savior. So praise be to God for gathering us here once again. May the Lord bless all of us. We continue to see Jesus meeting or encountering different types of people throughout the gospel of Mark. We saw in the beginning that he called his first disciples, and these disciples, he said, simply, follow me, drop your nets, come to me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And his four brothers dropped everything, and they followed, not knowing what was before them, 
But they knew that this Jesus that they heard about was not a prophet like the days of old, but perhaps the Messiah himself. And they put their faith in him and trusted him that wherever the journey may take them, that this Jesus of Nazareth would bring them life. For many of you, God has given you his spirit. He's taking you on this journey. We will never know Jesus completely. We will never know God completely. Not even in heaven will we understand and know the infinite God completely. But we know this. Whatever he reveals to us, how much he reveals to you and I is more than enough to satisfy our souls. So wherever you are in your faith, just say yes to Jesus. Walk. And let him teach you. Let his love and his mercies appear to you. Then we saw Jesus go about healing people with evil spirits or an unclean spirit. We saw Jesus heal a paralytic who was paralyzed from, from birth. And in so doing, we saw Jesus of Nazareth had this power over nature, over sickness, over illness, over the spiritual realm. And all were amazed. But Jesus, in doing these miracles, was always teaching. But so far in the Gospel of Mark, it only says Jesus was teaching. Jesus was uh, was uh, was showing God's word, but at this point we don't under we don't know exactly what he's saying. But he tells the the readers, he tells you and I, that this Jesus of Nazareth, whatever he's saying, is the ability to heal, is the ability to drive out unclean spirits. Demonstrates to you that whatever he's saying. There must be truth and veracity to it. But at this point, he's calling upon you and I to be in awe and be in awe and wonder of this Jesus of Nazareth. Here in Mark chapter two, verse thirteen and seventeen, we see Jesus walking beside the sea once again, and he calls another disciple, this man by the name of Levi. He was sitting at his tax booth because, well, he was a tax collector. And Jesus says unto him, follow me. This man dropped everything and followed him. Now, Levi was a tax collector, and during those days, well, during any time, tax collectors were not a very popular, um, not very popular people in those days. Especially in this time of age. Remember, the Roman Empire had taken over the parts of Palestine or Israel. They had set up a tetrarch named Herod, and Herod himself was there to, to rule over the region of Palestine. And all the taxes that they collected went to, to Herod and, and to the Roman Empire. And these taxes were collected 
Well, for what purpose? Well, you might think to, to build roads or to, uh, you know, to build a, a water aqueduct system and all those wonderful things that we've seen. But we also know that the taxes went so that they went to Herod and went to Rome in order to help their oppressors to oppress them. And so you almost have a double whammy. Not only have they conquered you, but you have to actually pay them so they can continue to oppress you. And so these people were not liked at all. You can even think about it this way, right? It's like you see the Romans and you see the, the people who are oppressing them. They are also the ones who would 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 put them in jail. They were also the ones who would have them executed. All on their own dime. The hatred and antipathy towards Rome was great. Now on top of that, this tax collector was one of their very own. A traitor in their eyes. An Israelite. A Hebrew. Someone who has sold out for his own gain. He knows where that money is going. He knows the, his purpose and his role in oppressing his very own people. We know what's going on in the Middle East today. And I think many of us here have a very difficult time just even expressing what's going on in Israel. Not that we're not thinkers, but because how high the emotional cost is to approach the conversation at all. That type of emotional heightenedness is what we see here. But they're not afraid to hide it. The Israelites, the Jews, do not like Rome. They do not like the Tetrarch, Herod, who is over them. And they certainly do not like Levi was betraying them. And we see here that Levi is, is by the sea as well. And so most likely, who's he taxing? He's taxing, he's taxing the fishermen who are just making an honest living, his fellow Jewish people. Those that we encountered in Mark chapter 1, four fishermen perhaps, and, and his family. But not loved not even liked, but derided by all people. And here's Jesus, knowing all of this. He looks at Levi and says, follow me. That statement, Jesus' economy of rule, 
his understanding of his kingdom has blown everyone's mind. Jesus, does your kingdom really include people like this? Now, we're not privy to know what the disciples were thinking. But we know that they all gathered at Levi's house. And when they were there, they were reclining and they were eating with other with his other tax collector friends and who the leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the, and the, um, the scribes of the Pharisees would, would count as sinners. And they were reclining at his house and they were eating. Again, we're taking another step here of really showing the Israelite people how much Jesus will love them fellowship with them, and stay with them. Do you remember when you were a kid and your parents would tell you, or maybe when you are in college as well, your parents would tell you, be careful who you eat with. Because the people you eat with will become your friends. If you sit with the same people at lunch every day, they're the ones who will be your friends. Now, when they're reclining at the table, you've got to realize that they're, they're sort of like lying down. They're spending time. They're relaxing. They're enjoying each other's fellowship. And here is Jesus and his disciples eating, probably laughing, enjoying his time there. The scribes of the Pharisees, I can imagine, were fuming, were angry. Who is this man, Jesus, that he eats with tax collectors and sinners? And I want to stop here for a moment. And I want you to hear the anger and the hatred of the religious people of the day. You see, they had this understanding of who could come into God's house and who could not come into God's house. There were only those who were accepted into God's kingdom. But then there were those who who could never enter into his presence. And oftentimes these, these leaders, these gatekeepers, well, like here, would make their thoughts known to all. They had a level of righteousness, a level of, of credentials that you needed to enter into the kingdom of God. We as God's people, we, we, we have this danger all the time. And this danger is, is twofold. One is we ourselves judge other people. And we say, this person does not deserve the forgiveness of God, does not deserve to hear the gospel. 
And what do we do? Like the Pharisees, perhaps we're not as brazen as this, but we often withhold our love from people. Withhold the goodness and the words of the gospel from other people, thinking that they are beyond hope, beyond salvation, beyond change. But God can indeed work miracles. But what happens when you start becoming a Pharisee like that is that that measure that you put on other people, you start looking at the mirror and you say, that same measure is the measure I give unto you. And then you yourselves start to believe that you can't come to God's presence either. There's no way God could hear me. No way God can accept me. Because that person that I'm judging, I'm realizing I'm him. She is me. We're the same. You see, the righteousness of these Pharisees, their understanding of the criteria for salvation is actually correct. But the application and implications of it that they understand is wrong. Remember, Jesus says that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. You must be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. And so in some sense, the Pharisees were right that, that we have to live sort of this perfect life. We can't be like the sinners. We can't be like these tax collectors who, 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 who have stolen money from people, have used false measures to extort more money than they, they should have. And Jesus says, you're right. Let's go on. So Jesus says to the scribes of the Pharisees when they were perceiving what he was doing, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus calls those who understand that they are sick, that they are lost, that they are unrighteous, that they are hopeless. Jesus does not call those who think that they are well, have things all together. Jesus calls those who are utterly helpless. And see, Jesus wants to say to you, like he says to these Pharisees, do not let your anger towards other 
blind you to what I'm trying to do. Do not let your own sense of right and wrong, which is causing this anger to raise up, define who you are. Do not let your own measures of success and failure be that which gives you salvation. But look upon the law of God. Look upon your helplessness and hopelessness and know that Jesus has come for you. For those of you who acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your helplessness. But that's who Jesus is coming to. You who are hated by this world, you who are seen as failures in this world, it is to you that God is coming. Now the world may say something like this. They, they may say, you know what? Christianity or this whole Jesus, it's, it's a crutch. It's a crutch. You're just not strong enough. Oh, you Christians out there, what is your problem? Are you that weak that you need religion? Oh, but Karl Marx and all these people do not, do not understand that the weakness that is revealed to us is a weakness acknowledging who we are. It's a weakness that acknowledges the truth of the world. It's a weakness that acknowledges the truth of our condition. And it's a weakness that allows us to see truly God himself. Jesus himself, who came to love us. You know, I, I'm always amazed when, whenever I go on social media, whether it's Facebook or, no, it's usually just Facebook. I don't really go anywhere else for some reason. Um, I do it because all my pastor friends are only on Facebook. Facebook is just full of old pastors, I feel like, at least in my feed. Um, but every once in a while, you'll see advertisements come up or, you know, these little videos come up. And you always see these videos about uh, miracle drugs. I think the thing that I've seen most recently is the, the, these miracle procedures to help get rid of acne. To help get rid of acne. And you know, when, I, when I see that, I go, this is... This is you know, this is obviously doesn't work. But then I realized something. There are many, many bright, smart people who have tried everything, have this beautiful, clear skin. And there comes a time of desperation, isn't there? where nothing else works. And you just simply say, here's my 50 bucks, I'll try it. I'll try it. Even though they know that it's not going to work, that desperation leads them to try it. We've all been like that. Whether it's in our schooling, 
whether it's in our families, whether it's, it's our drive for success. When we're at our wit's end, we say, I'll try anything. That's where all the swindlers are waiting, right? For you and for me. Karl Marx says Jesus is a swindler. The world says that Jesus is a swindler. But you and I, because of God's spirit, the desperation that we feel of who we are, what is our purpose, where are we going? Now that I have a family, now that I'm married, what's it, what am I supposed to do? Now that I've got my job, what am I supposed to do? Now that I'm older, what do I do? And when we go to the Lord in those times of desperation, when we know that we are sick, when we know that we are sinners, that is when God appears to you and to me. Brothers and sisters, it is not a question of if, but simply a question of when. When you feel the Spirit tugging at your heart and taking away everything that you feel is precious in your life, when you feel the lowest of the low, when you realize that you have wronged God and you know that you have wronged God, in those times of quiet or perhaps even loud desperation, don't just eat food. Don't just go exercise. Don't get a drink. That's God calling you. Go to him. Read his word and enjoy his counsel. Sing songs to him and tell him how good he is. God has called you. Oh, brother and sisters in Christ, God has called you. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, like Levi, are enemies of the cross. We, like Levi, are active in our rebellion, are active, Lord, in the ways that we use things of your creation for our own satisfaction for the ways that we use people, again, for our own satisfaction. And yet, like Levi, you still choose to dwell with us and to be with us. Lord, we ask of you to open our eyes to see that you are here and that you seek for us 
to simply open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to you. And to allow you to fellowship with us. Allow you to love us. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here. Help us to acknowledge our sickness and our need of you. Help us to see our unrighteousness, our sinfulness. That you may come to heal us, dwell in us, to give us life, life everlasting. In Christ's name we pray, amen.